No, high school didn't do it for me. You know, um, I had a craving. I had, you know, this insatiable craving to be rebellious and to find my own way, mm-hmm. truthfully. And my dad, when he took me to the airport, Joe, because he did, he took me to the airport to get so I can get on a plane so I can meet this boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Didn't love> me. <laughs> um, my father said he grabbed me. And he held me and he said, I can't make your mistakes for you. Well, that's good, everybody. I'm Joe Longo. This is your Daily Shot of Inspiration. Special weekend interview series where I connect with inspiring and creative people to have conversations to hopefully inspire you to start doing whatever it is that you love. Even to just start taking baby steps to get you in that direction of where you want to be. So my name's Joe Longo. I've lived many lives from being a college football player to a professional photographer, to an IT director, back to photography and teaching yoga and meditation. And now doing all of that and bringing all of my failures together to coach people, to help people change their mindset. To help people realize that no matter how many mistakes we have made, we can still keep going, we can still keep learning, and we truly can do what we love in this life. So I hope these conversations inspire you to get out into the world and start doing the things that you want to do, to start living your life for yourself. And if you need any help, please reach out, set up a call, let's talk. Maybe there's a way that I can help you. Maybe there's someone that I know that can help you. But reach out. Set up a free call. Let's chat. Thank you for being here and enjoy the show. So this week we are talking with my friend Amy Ferris. Amy is an author, editor, screenwriter, and playwright. She's the editor of the anthology Dance at the Shame Prom, sharing the stories that keep us small. Her memoir, Marrying George Clooney, Confessions from a Midlife Crisis, was adapted into an off-Broadway play, and she has written for TV, film, and magazine. Amy is literally one of the most inspiring people I know. I'm so thankful that our paths have crossed due to mutual friends that we have, and that somehow along the way, we ended up Facebook friends. Who would have thought? Right? I would have thought because I know the value of social media and how you use your tool. And friends, every morning, Amy shares a beautiful writing that usually comes out that morning. I'm almost positive that it comes out that morning. And these writings are inspiring for anyone. For the men listening, go follow Amy's Facebook page. I'll put the link in the show notes. There's a lot of good stuff that she is sharing and not just for the ladies. For all of us, connect to both the divine masculine and the divine feminine within you. And I know that you'll find value. So, little... How do I say this? Amy and I started talking before we were actually really recording, but we were recording. Anyway, I asked Amy a question about our new book saying that I'm going to bring it up in the interview, which I never ended up bringing up in the interview because the conversation just flowed. So I want to share with you that first question about Amy's new book 
and then we'll actually roll in to the interview. If you're like, wait, what's happening? How did, where did we go? That's what's happening. This first question actually happened before the official start of this recording, but thank goodness it was recorded. So you're going to hear that first, and then we're going to roll into this episode with Amy Ferris. You can find out all of Amy's information in the show notes. If you want to work with me, that information is also in the show notes. If Amy and I say anything that you find a value or inspiring please share this episode with your friends share it on facebook share it in instagram put it wherever you put things to share with your community i would really appreciate it and if you feel moved head into itunes or spotify and leave a review a star rating it really helps get the podcast out in front of more people and that is the goal not to just say look at how many downloads we have but to literally say, look at the value that we are putting out for everybody out there, because that is the goal. That is the intention, that these conversations add value into your life to help you start living the life of your dreams. Grab a cup of tea, maybe a coffee, and enjoy this conversation with Amy Ferris. I'm going to ask this when we're recording, but did the new book literally just spring from your morning Facebook posts? It actually did. And for about four years, people have been saying, oh, Amy, can you put this together? You know, can you, you know, have a compilation? And I was, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And then Brooke, you know, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, you got a lot of really good stuff here. People need to be able to read that. And so it's a combination of posts that, a lot of that really, really circulated and went viral. Mm -hmm. That, um, and it's also some new stuff that I wrote that I really felt like I needed to finally get out of my body. Hey, everybody, I'm Joe Longo. This is your daily shot of inspiration. And today it is my pleasure to talk to Amy Ferris, author, <laughs> screenwriter, all of the things. I'm so excited to to talk with you and share you with everybody that listens. And I'm sure everybody that listens already knows you, but Amy, I would love for you to tell us a little, a little something, something about yourself. Who, who are you? What do you do, Amy? <laughs> oh, who am I? What do I do? I'm a girl who lives in the woods, <laughs> who gave up New York city. And, you know, I went from Prada to Payless. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And um, actually, I'm quite, I'm really, really quite happy to be in the woods in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I would be. At the very beginning, it felt very much like green acres on acid. <laughs> like, oh, my God, where the fuck am I? Um, but I've fallen madly in love with where I am. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a New York City girl, and now I'm a country girl, and, but I'm still a New York City girl. You know how it is. <laughs> right. Were you raised in the city or were you a city no. transplant? Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Long Island. Ah, the island. Yes. I'm originally from Long Island and I dropped out of high school uh, in the 10th grade. Decided that this boy was way, way better than high school. <laughs> <laughs> I got on a plane and I went to Medford, Oregon to live on a commune. And, All right. and, and that lasted just a little teeny bit. Uh, I was caught shaving my legs in the bathroom and I was told that I had to leave. Oh, wow. Because 
It was like back then, no shaving, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I came back to New York City, got myself a job at G&G's on West 8th Street. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, just worked and then really found that I wanted to pursue. I became a Buddhist Mm -hmm. um, at the age of 19, and that totally changed my life um, completely. And I realized that I had so much potential Mm -hmm. and I was, you know, it didn't matter if I dropped out of high school. It didn't matter that I didn't have a, you know, high school diploma. It didn't matter that I, if I went to college or not, Mm -hmm. I had a passion and that passion got lit and I followed that passion and, you know, and decided that I was going to put my words, become, use a pen sword (laughs) to change, change, you know? That's beautiful. And I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm, I'm curious, when did you start? When did you grab the pen or your sword? You know, I grabbed the pen when I was a little girl because I felt so completely different than other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had some really cool friends growing up, like my friend Ellen Klein. She was like the cool, cool chick. Uh Um, And, you know, and a girl around the corner, Susan Berger. But I think when you're a little girl and you kind of feel completely like you don't belong for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. whether it's, now because of sexuality or back then because I was just different. You know, I had a whole different feeling about who I was. And so I wrote a lot in my journal. I wrote a lot in my diary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when I was eight years old, I was going to marry my neighbor and have his babies. So, you know, there you have it. <laughs> um, but I loved, uh, writing became my very best friend. You know, that, that diary was where I held my secrets mm-hmm. and I had a little key, you know, like you did back then. And I knew my mother was never going to fuck with that key. And so I put everything into those little pink diaries mm-hmm. and they saved me because I thought, Ooh, I have a place that I can share what's going on inside of me. Mm-hmm. And it took me, so I think I always, always loved, you know, writing and I loved painting and I loved anything that was creative because I felt like what was inside of me, I was able to get it out of me. I was able to release that. Mm-hmm. That's, so, that's beautiful. So I'm curious, if, was that a reason for leaving school besides with the boy and moving to Oregon? Was school just not keeping you entertained (laughs) you know this was like in the 60s okay Mm -hmm. nothing was keeping me entertained Uh i mean you know um i think after i watched the beatles on ed sullivan i thought wow there's a whole world out there and it has nothing to do with baseball even though it's at chase stadium Mm -hmm. um but i you know i was very rebellious and i was also um I wanted so badly to belong. I wanted so badly to be liked and loved, mm-hmm. you know? And so here was this boy who paid some attention to me <laughs> in the back of my father's car. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, he was going to Medford, Oregon to be with his brother. And it was like, you know, I'll go. Sure. <laughs> you know, he didn't love me like I liked him. Uh-huh. But I think that, no, high school didn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I had a craving. I had, you know, this insatiable craving to be rebellious and to find my own way, mm -hmm. truthfully. And my dad, when he took me to the airport, Joe, because he did, he took me to the airport to get so I can get on a plane so I can meet this boy. Uh -huh. <laughs> <Didn't love me. laughs> um, my father said he grabbed me. And he held me and he said, I can't make your mistakes for you. Wow. And that has been my mantra. And every mistake I've ever made, most of the mistakes I've ever made, have become very much a part of my mission. Mm -hmm. You know, um, what did I learn from that? What can I help someone else, else learn from, from my having experienced that? Mm -hmm. um, I am a very, very big fan of making mistakes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, think, I think that's that's what gets us where we are. And when people kind of put you down or deme or, or demeaning because you've made so many fucking mistakes, they have probably made more mistakes than you have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The mistakes are so, so important. They um, are. And I, I ask about that the high school experience, if it just wasn't because you you had that creativity within you. I'm assuming it was just in you forever. It was. Um, and for me, <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize I was creative until later because I had this idea. My my family is filled with artists my dad can draw my brother my sister like beautiful paintings and drawings and I, I can't do any of that and I never could and I never I just assumed if I can't paint or draw I'm not creative I'm not an artist Ooh. but I couldn't like school just did nothing for me like the, the teachers didn't <laughs> do anything for me but I was lucky I played football and without realizing that creativity really came out on the field by just being really good at, at what I did. But I didn't think that was creativity either. I was just like, oh, I'm just a jock and I'm just happen to be good at this. But then I went to college and my football coach put me in a photography class. Oh, wow. That I failed. <laughs> um, it was Friday at three o'clock. It was too hard to get to class, but I fell in love with it. And I was like, holy shit, I am creative. Like I, I've been creative my whole life. I didn't even realize what it was. Like, that's why high school was so horrible because I just, the, the teachers couldn't keep me, you know, in anything. Right. And so after I, I failed that, that class, I gave up my scholarship and went to art school to be a photographer. And it like all synced in. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I often think, like, I wonder what would... What would like seventh through twelfth grade have been like if I actually realized that I was creative and not just a dumb kid put in the dumb class in the back of the room with the other dumb kids? That's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I knew I was creative 
for sure. I mean, I had this yearning inside of me and I knew that I was creative, mm -hmm. but what you just said is really, really, really um, amazing. What would it have been like, you know, mm -hmm. how different would it have been, you know, but you know, where you are is pretty amazing. It is. It, and I like, I look back at those spots, like literally a couple of weeks ago, I went to the Finger Lakes and on the ride up to the Finger Lakes, we passed Mansfield University, which is where I went to college. And I was like, we have to stop just because we're passing. <laughs> and because I, like I left, it was like such a, even though it wasn't in my mind now, it was like this dramatic ending. I'm leaving and I'm going to art school, but I never got that chance to say goodbye to actually playing football and to that person. So it was like this wonderful thing. But even there, I was thinking like, what would have, what would have my life been like if I actually would have stayed here for four years and got that real degree? And you know, about that? I, every once in a while, I, I'll write about it. Pretty much when I journal, I like kind of journal about what I'm creating. And every once in a while, I'll write about other stuff. But I should write That's more really, about it. That would be a real fascinating piece and journey. And it would be fascinating for so many of us because, you know, we don't go back. Mm -hmm. Or we don't have that opportunity to go back. And um, that would be amazing. That's a, that's an incredible, that's actually an incredible kind of anthology. <laughs> think about it, you know, those years, like I, I wonder, you know, if I went back to East Meadow or if I went back to that high school now, you know, what, what would happen? How would, you know, what would that trigger? Mm -hmm. What moment? Because I was not happy in high school, you know, but I think it was more about, um, like I said, you know, the wanting to be liked or, or actually the wanting to be seen and heard, mm -hmm. you know? And so I didn't feel that way growing up. Yeah. But, you know, we all kind of want to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. And so. it's interesting because I think at that time in my life, I was being seen, but I felt I wasn't being seen for who I actually was. was right. Cause there was this creative thing inside me and the only thing and i didn't even think it was creative but i love i love to sing i absolutely love to sing um when i was little and i couldn't sleep my mom would play me barry manilow records and i would sing along to, oh. to barry manilow barry. <laughs> um and like then growing up i was like i really like i love singing but it wasn't like oh, i'm gonna go be in the chorus or i'm gonna do this or do anything creative i just would sing in my house sing in my car sing wherever I could until the time came after college where my friend was like, we should start a band. Like, All <laughs> right, let's start a really bad band. Um, you know, so I, like, I often look back, I'm like, well, what, like, what would have life looked like if I got, if I, if I just went that normal route or if I went this route or here or there and, you know, all of these things, it's fun to look at. I'm, and it, it makes me, I'm pleased with where I am, but it's just that idea of what, you know, what could have, what should have. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because the, my new book, mm -hmm. which is now with uh, Brooke at She Writes, that is the very, very opening of my book. And because Brooke and I had a conversation a while ago and 
you know, when we were talking about, you know, the, the ad, you know, this like new age kind of, what would you tell your younger self now? Mm-hmm. And I said to her, I would tell her to do everything that she did. And she went, really? And I said, yeah, because it got her here. Mm-hmm. And so that's the opening, literally, dear Amy, or dear little Amy. <laughs> mm. And it's because I do remember as a, as a young girl, as a little girl saying, when I grow up, I want to be, you know, and I really know that I grew up to be exactly who I wanted to be when I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I wouldn't say, oh my God, don't fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> don't go into that store. Don't get into that car. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell her any of that. I would tell her, do, do exactly what you're about to do. Because when you get to be me, you're going to be the, that exact woman that you always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So that's how the book kind of opens. And I have Brooke to really thank for that. That's beautiful. And it's so true, right? Like I look back and all of how we were talking earlier, all of the mistakes that I've made or what people might look like as mistakes or failures have been my biggest catapults to to get me to where I am. It's very true. Today, I, I heard a beautiful, it was on TikTok, a, a, a wise older gentleman saying, we all are going to go through shit storms in our life. And the shitstorm might be a week, it might be three years, it might be five years, but you're going to come out of that shitstorm such a beautiful version of yourself that you yeah. would have never been if you didn't experience the storm. And that's really true. And that's what we have to encourage people mm-hmm. because so many people, especially younger people, by the way, you know, because we've all <laughs> gone through our shit storms mm-hmm. and, you know, and now we're all fighting for our rights again. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they kind of feel like, Oh, I, but I already have that right. Or I'm already there. Or, you know, there is something so magnificent, truly magnificent about facing some of our demons, facing the worst you know, having failure and feeling like this is, you know, rejection can either knock you completely out or you can say, you know what, that no, really, that person didn't see, that person saw no, but I see on, Mm. (laughs) you know, I, I flip the word no when I, when I get a rejection and I think, Ooh, it's not a no, it's an on, keep going on. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's something that we get to teach other people or encourage other people or inspire that we're on this earth to do our lives, not someone else's life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I told um, a woman a long time ago when she goes into the voting booth, her husband is not in that booth with her. Mm-hmm. And I wanted her because I wanted her because I knew she was really, really having a hard, hard time about who to vote for. This was 2016. And I said, when you're in that voting booth, you're voting your life. Yeah. You're not voting him. You're not voting his brutality and his bulliness and his bullshit. You're voting for you. 
And she came out of that booth and I knew that she really truly voted the way that she needed to. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, we all have to live our lives in, in I hate to use the word authentically, but we need to live our lives. Right. We're, we're, we're the ones that are going to be stuck with ourselves. Yeah, we wake up with ourselves. We go to bed with ourselves. We're with each. We're with ourselves twenty four fucking seven. I mean, there's no separation. Right. We, we need to, you know, we need to live our life, you know, exactly the way that we want to. That's so hard for a lot of. Oh, it's. I'll, I'll say us, right? It's excruciating. I mean, I'm I'm saying it, but it's. You know, it's something that I learned and I keep learning and I keep, you know, kind of relearning. Mm-hmm. Why am I here, you know, to live that person's life or to do, you know, and I think, I think we, we just get caught up mm-hmm. in wanting to please others, right? Yeah. And be what other people want us to be. Mm-hmm. When in truth, there's so much inside of us. Yeah, so much. And so much that, I feel us humans put on the outside thinking that people are thinking of us when they're really not thinking of us at all. <laughs> right. We get so worried. What are they going to think if I do this or if I do that? And I was like, they're not. I, I, and this was something else I heard from a, a wise old man, I think on TikTok as well. It was like, we all worry about people thinking about <laughs> us, but not only are they not thinking about us, they're not <laughs> thinking That's at so- all. That is so true. <laughs> and there's so much that we get into. It's like, oh my goodness, what are they going to say if I do that? It's like, they can't even see me. I just, <laughs> I think they're looking at me. They're not even looking at me. And if we can live that way fully, I think we would all be so much, so much better than that idea of, oh no, what are they going to say? They're not, for everybody listening, they're not going to say anything because they're not even watching you. <laughs> No, you're completely invisible. That's the thing. We think that they're just, you know, chapping away about us. They're not. Mm-hmm. They don't care. And we care so much about what they think. You know, it's it's almost like we will ourselves into their body and brain. Uh-huh. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, shit, I didn't do that because I was worried what Betty Sue may have said. And she doesn't even know I'm alive. Um that which, is so true, Joe. Which which really <laughs> gets Sue. me. Betty Sue. <laughs> Betty Sue. Mind your business, Betty Sue's Sue. <laughs> oh my God. Everyone's got a Betty Sue, babe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Natalie. Okay. What's up, Natalie? <laughs> I love her. To, I love her so much. I've known her. Oh my God, for years and years and years and years from New York. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she is a perfect example of a woman who really followed her own life. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, this is a woman who, when I knew her years and years ago in New York City, waiting on tables in some place on Amsterdam Avenue, and, and, we used to go to Buddhist meetings together mm-hmm. and she wanted to be an opera singer. She was married. She wanted to be an opera singer. 
And, you know, this is a woman who is living the truth of her life. And I just think she is remarkable. Yeah. She's remarkable. For for everyone listening, we're talking about Natalie Levin. She was on that on the show a couple of weeks ago. And she is honestly, when I talk to other people about her, using the word authentic, she's the most authentic. And no pardon my language, everybody. No fucks given. Right? No fucks given. No. Uh, I'm going to eat a, a, a bucket of ice cream and, and go live on Instagram <laughs> and tell you about astrology. Maybe I'll have a chicken wing as well <laughs> and some ice cream. And maybe I'll dip the chicken wing in the ice cream, but then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour some you know, chocolate onto the chicken wing and tell you that it's really mole sauce, mm-hmm. but it is it. <laughs> and no, she is so... She is genuinely, genuinely one of those people that you think, man, she really, truly lives. She's, she is that butterfly. Mm-hmm. She is that person. And I, I just, I'm in awe of how she lives her life. So in credit with intention and beauty and no bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's very inspiring. She is. And she loves you, boy. We're Pisces, you know, we're, we're Pisces babies. <laughs> if I'm a Sagittarian, I don't even know what the fuck that means. <laughs> Me either. I, I just care about my Pisces. <laughs> um, so I would love to chat about your first book. Just a little bit. I'm so curious about the name. Which book? Your, your first book. Was it your first book, Marrying? George Clooney. Um, Marrying George Clooney was my first memoir. Your first yeah, it was memoir. memoir. Marrying George Clooney: Confessions from a Midlife Crisis. <laughs> and that here, this is what you know. Funny, we're kind of like full circle. Um, I was in the thick of menopause, mm-hmm. and my husband was, you know, doing a movie. We were living in Manhattan. <laughs> he was fast asleep, and I was sitting at the computer googling old boyfriends. Because I thought, what are you doing? It's three o'clock in the morning and you know, and you don't want to watch television. And so I went and Googled old boyfriends. I did find out, by the way, <laughs> that the guy that I went to Milford, Medford, Oregon with um, was now deaf. <laughs> he is a musician, but he lost all his hearing. Mm. And I thought, hmm, good thing I'm not with him anymore. And but I did, I Googled like old boyfriends. And that became the very, very first chapter of Marrying George Clooney. And it was, um, Marrying George Clooney is really just a chapter in the book. It's like, what would happen? What would have happened if I married George Clooney? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a wa- really wacky kind of chapter, uh-huh. um, you know, and, and funny and all of that. But And then from that, it was made into a play. Well, from that, yes. But what happened with marrying George Clooney is it was bought. Seal Press ended up buying it. Thank you, Brooke Warner. (laughs) On the very first 50 pages of the book, which were really funny. Mm -hmm. But then what happened was my mother was diagnosed with dementia. Mm. And so um, my editor at Seal Press said, okay, you're going to make a real sharp turn now, Amy. (laughs) You're going to go from it being really funny to writing about your relationship with your mother. And that was kind of like a holy hell because I wanted really very much to be as honest as I could 
and I knew that it was going to fracture some relationships. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care because they had already been fractured. It's kind of like that Hugh Prather saying, I was walking down the street and I said hello to Bob and Bob walked by me and I realized I never liked him either. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew, you know, that my relationships within my family were really fractured. They weren't going to get any better. Mm-hmm. If I didn't write the truth, I would be, you know, being very disingenuous and I would be very, I would be breaking my own heart. Um, and so the book became a really about my mom, my relationship with my mother and, um, and growing up, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that family. And that was really, that, you know, one of my very favorite words, that was very profound for me to write mm-hmm. because that was the part of the book that everyone responded to. Uh-huh. That people, you know, especially women who had mothers that were very brutal. I mean, my mother was beautiful and I know she loved me, but she didn't nurture me, mm-hmm. you know, um, and in one moment, Joe, I was, I went to visit her. She was living in a, an assisted living facility in New Mexico. And I went to visit her for 10 days and I got into bed with her. And at that point she was also, you know, she was like a shell of herself. Dementia is so cruel, mm-hmm. you know? And I got into bed with her and in one moment of clarity, she said to me, I didn't want anyone to love you. I wanted everyone to love me. Oh, wow. And I turned to her and I held her and I said, you know, mom, I got so much love now. I got Ken and I got all these really cool friends. I don't need that kind of love now. And she started to cry. And, but it was the, it was the most truthful thing she probably could have ever said. I waited 60 years for her to say that or 58 years for her to tell me, you know, um, but that was profound and amazing. And, and the thing about it at the end of that book, Joe, I knew that I'd become the, the woman my mother wanted to be. That's beautiful. I knew that. And so I felt like I was writing in a very bizarre way, a love story, mm-hmm. you know, a very non-traditional love story. Uh-huh. And then, yes, it became a play off Broadway. That section is what became the play. Ah. The mother daughter. That's beautiful. Are you an only child? No, but my brother would tell you I am. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just two of you then. Yes, and my brother and I are 10 years apart. So, oh, okay. you know, he was 10 years old when I was born, mm-hmm. and he was the prince. And then this little girl comes, you know, bopping along, and she's getting all the attention. You know, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of, you know, therapy to figure this shit out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't. And, you know, he was so miserable that I came along. (laughs) And, um, you know, because he was the center of attention. Mm -hmm. 
And then this little princess comes along because back then in the fifties, you know, we were all little princesses. Right. Um, and that changed his entire life. And, you know, I went from, oh my God, what a scumbag kind of thing to, mm-hmm. wow, having so much compassion for the fact that, you know, the first 10 years he was, he was it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he was pushed aside. So yes, I mean, you know, I, I have incredible, I, I don't see him. We don't talk. Our relationship literally imploded and exploded years ago mm-hmm. and I don't have any desire to be back in that kind of relationship mm-hmm. but I understand where all of his you know anger and pain came from mm-hmm. wow yeah I I ask I uh, I know a couple my mom is an only child and I think her and her mom had an interesting that I think there's something with only children and the parents that a boy or a girl that I, you're taking my love or you're taking the attention away from me. Yes. All right. But when there's a crew, like my, my mom, because she was an only child created a small army. So I'm the youngest of six. Um, I'm not joking, Amy. I'm I'm the only one that doesn't have children. All of my brothers and sisters started having kids when I was 13. My (laughs) nieces and nephews are now having babies. So I'm like a great uncle, not just because I kick ass and I'm great, but because there's so many. Um, But it's interesting to see. And I think it's uh, how you say about the, you know, your, your brother feeling that way and not just the way it is. Growing up, and I just think this is funny because I just experienced this last week. I went to see my parents, and my <laughs> one niece is about to have a baby. Any day now, she's going to give birth, my niece Olivia, and she's ready to have a baby. But my mom was sitting at her kitchen table with all of her baby stuff. Like, you know, so the book, like, so my brother's book, and I'm sorry, mom. But I love you. But this is so great. So my brother, you know, the first one has this book, right? Jack's first steps. Jack's this, you know, all of it in the book. Right. By the time they got to me, number six, the stats that my mom kept is on a scratch piece of paper. Oh, my God. That's so funny. (laughs) And I was like, because my brother will joke and be like, once everybody came, they just forgot about me. But I'm like, look, I got to literally my stats are on a scrap piece of paper and he has this beautiful book, right? Describing everything. And here I am tucked in the page. Joe, Joe, Joe stats. That's so brilliant. I'm like, all right. And then she went right into, but I got all new stuff when you were born. We had money and I told you, dad, we're getting a new crib and a new height chair and all new, all new stuff. No, me downs. I mean, you, were, you were the recipient of all of the new things. All, I got all the new things. So they had to just give me a scrap of paper. Here's Joe. Yeah, here's Joe. Here's Joe. But interesting fact for everybody listening. I took my first steps on Christmas day, 1976. Wow. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I was like, how about that? On Jesus's birthday, I took my first steps. That's incredible. 
I thought it wow. was. I was like, look at that birthday or that Christmas present I gave you all. <laughs> look at me. Forget about Jesus. I'm walking over here. Jesus. <laughs> wow. That is wild. Yeah. Family dynamics. Funny. Really, really interesting. Really interesting. Yes, they are. You know, they are. They're very interesting. And <laughs> You know, and more and more people are starting to talk about estrangement, which I think is good because, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you could sit with that for a really long time and feel like a fool. But, um, you know, there's just family dynamics. You know, blood may be thicker than water, but water is easier to clean up. Yeah, I'm telling you. Sure is. I'm telling you. And there's the beautiful thing. It's uh, being from a big family, <laughs> looking around the room and being like, how the hell did I end up in this family? (laughs) See, my mom had three sisters and a brother. My father had two brothers. So we had a big family, Mm -hmm. you know, when we had a cousin's dinner or, you know, you know, any kind of Seder or Passover or any kind of, you know, there were lots of people. Mm -hmm. And that was always really cool, you know, to have cousins and, aunts and uncles and you know and then it, that was always really neat mm-hmm. there's something about that you yes. know there's and there's joy in that there really is there really is even though i would joke around with everybody um growing up because you know christmas's holidays they just got bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> bigger i'd be like oh my goodness too many um but it was also you know really lovely for the holidays so you're like okay we're all gonna get together and we're all going to leave. <laughs> and that was it. We came together and we left and it was kind of like, shh, you know, who's going to do the dishes? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I joke with my mom. My mom was raised in a bar. So uh, no talking about politics or religion are allowed because that's that was the rules of the bar. And I remember being like, that's the shit we should be talking about. We should be talking about this stuff. Not all. Yes, kind that's of hiding, cool. like have open communication about this stuff. So I can sit here and be like, you guys are fucking crazy. Um, but all of that, all of those conversations were always just never allowed. And I thought it was interesting because she was like, two things you don't talk about. And I would be like, they're the two things we should all be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get it out in the open. So we're all aware yes. with where we stand here on yeah. this on this page. So the person we're sitting next to, you know. <laughs> Right, right. Which is interesting because, you know, I'm sure we've all experienced that one social media came to be, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, Uncle Bob might be really crazy Uncle Bob. You know, when you start seeing people's posts and the stuff and it's like, oh, wow, I guess we shouldn't talk about that over Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's true. Social media blew the lid off of all of that. It did. I love it because there's really no hiding. And it's like, oh, that's how you really are. Oh, that explains a lot then. Well, you know, I think, but but with social media also, there is a lot of hiding. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, you know, you don't, I remember (laughs) years and years and years ago um, going to San Francisco and I was meeting with some folks who were, you know, we met on Facebook and, you know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there was one woman who I swear, this is the truth. I, from her photo on Facebook, I thought she was like six foot. 
I mean, this photo was elongated. Mm -hmm. And when she showed up at the restaurant, she was like this tiny little thing. (laughs) And I thought, where's the rest of the photo? (laughs) No, seriously, it was like, and, and I realized in that moment, you know, we want people to have some idea, maybe not you know, full on, but, mm-hmm. you know, we want someone, some pe- we want people to have some kind of an idea of who we are or uh, want to be in right. the world. And on social media, we get to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you and I could become, you know, lawyers. Right. <laughs> wow, I just passed my, forget being at the bar. I just <laughs> passed the bar. And now I'm going to be, you know, <laughs> a litigator. Uh, but it's interesting because you can. You know, because chances are you're not going to meet the thousands of people that, you know, either follow you or like you or, you know, or hundreds of people who, you know, are in your orbit. Mm -hmm. So you can you can be something else if you want. Right. I mean, I love it. I feel it gave me this opportunity to be who do I want to be? And here I am. This is what I'm going to be. And even when I was just photographing full time it's like facebook instagram they were my office like yeah, i would yeah, go to the true. office on my phone or my computer and do the stuff that i needed to do and that's so true that is so true it becomes your office mm-hmm. you know and yeah and i that's th- I, I think it's it and i love the way that you use it because i think it's very important it's all how we use our tools and f- from your posts right? You have this beautiful book that's coming out because you were using that tool, right? To do what you do. And I, I, that inspires me literally to scream at everybody. Um, and just a cheap plug, cause I'm about to do a seven day challenge on how to like put yourself out into the world. Um, <laughs> but it's like, if we have something that we love, talk about it, you know, like we have these things, right? So you hate your job. Everybody, most people do. You have these things. Right. What if you grab your phone and start just telling the world what you love? Just start talking about what it is that you love. And I bet you'll stop hating your job as much because you're actually sharing shit that you enjoy instead of staying in the thing. And it's just like, we all have so much. I think I feel we all have something to share. We just don't realize that we're allowed to share it. And And maybe how easy the tools are just to, to share anymore right yeah. like that gatekeeper the gatekeeper's gone you know like for the people that are out there that want to write a book write your freaking book right start with facebook statuses just start yes. writing you know and you never know just because there isn't a publisher knocking on your door saying hey let's write your book if enough people start paying attention someone's going to pay attention and be like wait everybody's reading this stuff what's happening here you know, it's funny that you say that because up until this book, up until um, this new book, I've been a traditional, I've gone the route of traditional publishing, right? Mm. And, you know, 20 years ago, that was kind of groovy and cool, you know, that somebody said, oh my God, I love this. I want to buy it. Mm-hmm. But there is so much power in knowing that you get to control so much. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have to say that working with Brooke, and Brooke is like really, truly one of my very, very, very closest friends and best friends. And she's, 
you know, she has given more human beings wings than any person I know. Mm. And, you know, I think when you're 10 years ago, yeah, traditional public, oh, I got to go, you know, I got to be with Penguin or, you know, or Seal or somewhere or, you know, Simon and Schuster. Mm -hmm. Um, But now we get to make decisions and have more control and feel really good about what we're putting out there and knowing that there is something about that, you know, that self-publishing or hybrid public publishing, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. That is powerful, you know, and I feel really grateful that it's out there. Mm -hmm. So do I, I I know there's a book in me that's going to come out (laughs) and knowing that I can just be like, fuck it, I'm going to write a book. Right. And if I have to put it out myself, I know that at least the tools are there that I can do that. Or with well, Joe, I, ho- I hope you write the book about those three years at high school. What would that be like if you had used all of your creativity? Who would you have been? Kind of like, you know, it's kind of like what's that, that uh, sliding doors? Mm. Remember yeah. that movie? Mm-hmm. You know, so that kind of book, you know, where what if you had exploded with your art? What would that look like? Because right. I think a lot of people need that because we're so afraid of coming out of whatever fucking closet we are in. Mm-hmm. We are. We're afraid. You know, whoa, that person's going to judge me or that's going to, you know, or what is that going to look like? Well, you know, it's going to look really fucking amazing. <laughs> right, right. It's going to look like your life, which is exactly the which way it's amazing. supposed to look. Right. Yes. But I think people need that because... We are afraid of stepping out of that closet of, mm-hmm. you know, wow, what would, it, what would it have looked like if I had finished school? I probably would be in the Women's Correctional Center for sure. Sharing <laughs> 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 a room with someone named Squeaky. But <laughs> aside from that, um, I think that those are important. That's important. Mm-hmm. You know, had you used that part of your life back then. I, d- I don't doubt you'd be exactly who you are. It's really, I, I mean that. I kind of oh, feel like- I, I kind of think I would be me. So, Maybe just a little bit, a little, a little different. Maybe a little different. Maybe a little different. Maybe different classes. Maybe different classes, yeah. <laughs> but, um. but I think those are the stories that we need to tell. Mm-hmm. Well, I will definitely sit with that. <laughs> yes, I'm fascinated by it. I am. That's and that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That's a powerful story, you know, because yeah. we're so afraid to think. You know, what would I have done? What you know? Who would I have been? Who would I have loved? Yeah, who would I? It, it's it's so interesting. I remember after when I started going to college for photography, I ran into a. Uh, a friend from high school, an acquaintance. He was like, oh, did you take photography in high school? And I'm like, we had photography in high school? I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even know that there was a, apparently there was a dark room and a little photo studio. I'm like, <laughs> I, I didn't even know that existed. You know, so like, just like that, like what? What if I would have known, right? Like what if I would have picked up the camera in 10th grade instead of in college, right? And had that whole like what wow what what would that what would that have looked like 
because once I found photography, it was just like, holy shit. I'm painting with my eyeballs. <laughs> you yeah. know, like I'm capturing these moments. Um, and it really, I, I was also, I'm going to call out every single teacher that I had in high school. I was told I was dumb. Like literally teachers were like, you're dumb. Just go sit in the back of the room. Like, like not supportive in any kind of. Oh, I get that. I, I was there. In any kind there. of way that literally I was like, I must be just shit. What? I, at least I can play football. It's gonna that's gonna get me to college. I don't know what the hell else I'm gonna do. Like that's literally the my upbringing. Like that's how it was from school. I'm like, shh, you guys are supposed to be helping and inspiring me, not making me just want to fucking quit everything. Yeah, but that was it. I mean, I didn't have teachers that were inspiring. No, I didn't have you know I didn't have folks in my life that were you know, encouraging me to, you know, use my creativity mm -hmm. or I didn't, I didn't, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons probably why you and I and many other people are so bent on inspiring, encouraging people because we weren't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you know, I have an opportunity to inspire you. I'm going to inspire you because I remember not feeling ever encouraged. Mm -hmm. You know, Same. nobody encouraged me to go out and, you know, it's like, um, yeah. So I think, you know, we get to do that now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty and, remarkable. And I also think, so I didn't quit school. I stayed there. I really didn't participate. <laughs> um, I did enough. I did enough to just get by. Like, I guess if I'm dumb, I'll just kind of get, get, get right on, get by. <laughs> it was so it. weird when I went to college and I started getting four O's. I'm like, what? I thought I was dumb. How did this happen? Me? Right? <laughs> who who would have thought if you actually let people enjoy the things that they enjoy and, and teach them kind of what they want to be taught? Yeah. Um, how, how things change. I totally lost my train of thought there. But anyway. <laughs> well, I'm on the train with you. So yeah. <laughs> Oh, because I didn't participate in the typical, like ever, I didn't blindly follow along. I feel I'm better off in life because I didn't just blindly follow along where I look at all of those kids where it was like, all right, it's two minutes before class ends. Everybody better line up. Right. I'm like, why are we lining up? Let's just wait for the bell to ring and then get yelled at because they didn't line up. I'm like, what are we lining up for? You know what I mean? So like, I think, and I noticed that with people and I love my friends that I'm going to say this about with friends that I have that also were not good students have a completely different outlook on life. And it's not that they weren't good students. They didn't just blindly follow along. And it gives no. you a different point of a different outlook on life, I think. You know, I think what you're saying is actually so perfect because folks like you and I and other folks and other friends, we didn't, we didn't go to the back of the line. We started new lines. Mm -hmm. We're just like, that's, fuck it, I'll just wait here until the bell rings and then get up. That's, that's exactly <laughs> who we are. You know, we started new lines. Mm -hmm. And and I wish more people would. I think, you know, but then there's you and me and a whole bunch of other folks who are encouraging and inspiring them. You know what? Don't go to the back. No. Mm -hmm. That is, there's no, that's not where you want to be. Right. Go, start a new line. Do something else. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's important. You know, that is important. 
I mean, I don't think I would encourage kids to drop out of school. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't do that either. But <laughs> I would not do that. I wouldn't go to a high school and say, hey, listen, everybody here in 10th grade, get up and get the fuck out. Um, but I would encourage them to follow their heart. Mm-hmm. To really, you know, to really pay attention to what is going on inside of them. And to follow that and to trust that, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, we have to wake up with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's beautiful. As we circle all the way back around, I think we oh, started yeah. with that at the beginning. We, we, we have to wake up with, to, by ourselves, right? Even if there's somebody next to us, we're still waking up to ourselves. Joe, I think what we just did is we changed the entire woke thing. <laughs> <laughs> we sure and did. Into, and turned it into wake up rather than be woke. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wake up. Wake up to your truth. Wake up to what you need. Wake yeah. up to your life. Exactly. And live you it. Know? Live it. I think Alan Watts, I think it was Alan Watts, said. And if it wasn't, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, somebody, so, some old dude said, um, the meaning of life is to be alive. Yes. Just to be, just live, live your life. For- and I don't know who said this, but I know <laughs> someone said. And it- <laughs> That's very wonderful. <laughs> That's very wonderful. <laughs> uh, Amy, this was one of the quickest hours I think I've I've had with somebody. I can't I can't believe we talked for an hour already. I love this. Thank you so much. You're you're so so welcome. So where can people find you if they're not already following you? They can find me at a bar in <laughs> Milford, Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, on Facebook really truly on Twitter now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do Instagram. I'm very um, I'm very simple when it comes to social media. And that's the truth. I mean, I'm mostly on Facebook. Um, and if they want to know a little bit more about what I'm doing, I'm the director of the Story Summit Writer School, which is a pretty wonderful and groovy place. Mm-hmm. To Could you tell us a little bit about what, what, what that is? Yeah, Story Summit Writer School was founded. I actually, this is my second year today that I'm part of it. Happy anniversary! It's pretty amazing. Um, it was founded by David Kirkpatrick, and he was the head of production at Paramount and Disney. And years ago, he had this passion about mentoring mm-hmm. the younger generation of writers and filmmakers. And so he took that passion and turned it into a story summit. And when COVID and when the pandemic kind of really hit, we had to, I had just been brought on with Deborah Engel, who's my uh, co-director. Um, and we were brought in and flipped it into an online school, mm-hmm. writing school. And it's wonderful. We have like 2,000, you know, people who are now a part of it. We bring in all of these incredible um, filmmakers and authors and publishers. And it's it's mighty special, you know. So when you say writing school, is it a writing school to teach you all of the things about writing yes. book, movie, scripts? Yes. Yes. 
all of we it. Have, <laughs> we have all of these incredible filmmakers who come on, whether they're producers or directors or screenwriters. And, you know, they mentor younger writers. And we have, you know, there's a lot of younger writers right now that are getting um, their work seen, mm-hmm. published and produced, which is, you know, that's pretty phenomenal. So yeah, it's it's a wonderful um, it's a wonderful place to be if you have that kind of creativity that you really need to tap at. Mm-hmm. And you know, we bring in some really we have you know Jeff Arch who wrote Sleepless in Seattle and Tab Murphy who is like the king of animation mm-hmm. and he re- also wrote Gorillas in the Mist and you know and a lot of wonderful wonderful authors who come on. Oh, yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah, well, so I've been doing that for two years. Nice. I will link all of that up in in the show notes so everyone could 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 check that can check that out. And I love the fact that you are pretty much just I'm over here on Facebook and you're making it <laughs> and you're making it work, right? I think again, it's like the the thing that I'm going to be doing probably in a couple of weeks. I think everyone has these again. We have these ideas. Oh, I need to be here. I need to be here. But if you're rocking Facebook. Why do you need to go somewhere else? It's working. I have been rocking Facebook now (laughs) since 2008, I think. And, um, you know, for actually, to be really super honest, it's simple for me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing complicated about it. I get up and and I write something or I post something. And my goal, no bullshit, my goal every day is to inspire someone to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. That is my goal. I'm not looking for a million people to get out of bed. <laughs> I already did that in the seventies, but I'm looking, I, I'm, I want one person to say, Oh my God, I can get out of bed today. Mm. One person to say, I'm going to go another inch today. And that is really truly why I do it. It's not, you know, it's not a, something that I feel a burden. It's something that I, I actually think, okay, who can I inspire today? Mm-hmm. And I do it every day. You know, it's beautiful. I love everyday practices like that. Yes. And it is an everyday practice. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, I get to hone my writing, you yeah. know, and when, and, you know, I think, oh, I didn't write today. And then I think, yes, I did. Yes, I did. I got up and I wrote and I got up and I posted something and I got up and I did that. It is awesome, actually. So inspiring. Thank you so much for your time, for chatting, for all of the fun conversation. Um, For everybody listening, please, if you don't know Amy, click all of the links in the show notes, follow her, (laughs) read her writings, get her books, enjoy all of this, get all of the good stuff that, that, that Amy puts out. Thank you so much. Oh, Joe, it has been such a pleasure. I feel like you're my new friend. And you live like down the mountain. <laughs> right. We're, we're going to hang out really soon. We're going to make yes, it happen. Yes, we are. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Everyone, thank you for being here. And uh, I'll be back soon. <laughs>